have a great guest for you today, and it's Rachel with Night Vision. And that's Vision with an F. Now, Night Vision makes night sights, but they're way beyond night sights. They make some really cool products, and you're just going to have to listen to the podcast to find out all the cool stuff they've got going on. Now, I met Rachel in the Night Vision booth at SHOT Show, and when I got talking to her, I knew she was the real deal. Not only does she know a lot about these sites, but she's an instructor. And I thought I was in the guns. She's really in the guns. But before we talk to Rachel and hear all about night vision, and, well, we talk a lot about guns as well, let's pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by MyMedic. Now, I believe everybody should have access to first aid. When I ran into my medic, it was just a company whose story just really resonated with me. As sad as that story was, it built a mission and they're executing that mission. I was just looking out today and they even have a new kit just for people who do mountain biking. It's the coolest thing in the world. I didn't even know this thing existed, but I saw it today and I thought it was awesome. Now, the kit that I run on my range bag is the TFAC. This is a trauma kit. Now, realize that if you're going to go with first aid kits, make sure you get proper training because you could do more harm than good if you don't know how to use this kit. And having the kit and not having the knowledge of how to use it, well, it just might not work out. Now, I like this kit because it's small, compact, and it hangs right off of my range bag. It's really good because it has chest seals and things like that in it for, you know, while I'm at the range, maybe you get hit with a gunshot. God forbid that, that ever happens. But in the car, I have the MyFAC Large. That way I have a big kit. That way I can deal with other injuries as well. You know, and even injuries that might not be so life-threatening as the TFAC will deal with. Make sure you get a medical kit. Make sure you get the training. Because you never know. The life you save just might be your own. If you'd like to see the work that I do with my medic, go to www.trb.fyi slash mymedic. Now with the bills, let's get to Rachel because this is a really good interview. We went way longer than we had scheduled, but it's definitely worth every second of it. Rachel, tell me about your love of guns. Hey guys, my name's Rachel. I'm from Night Fishing. And now Rachel, yeah, we were talking a little bit offline and we talked a little bit at shot. And I know you're into guns. How did you get into guns? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> how did I get into guns? Um, so I grew up in a household where I was shooting competitive archery and um, I was pretty young when I was doing that and I absolutely loved it. And my stepfather was a competitive shooter in NRA Bullseye. And uh, so he saw my kind of passion around what I was doing with archery and he had said, he was like, well, natural progression is to go into um like he was doing 22 bullseye for quite a bit. And uh, so he was like, all right, well, 
you know, you want to do this. And I was like, okay, seems great. Um, so my mother was kind of like not comfortable with that. <laughs> she had really no exposure with firearms. And so her discomfort turned into, you are allowed to do whatever you'd like as soon as you get out of my house. <laughs> so, um, you know, her rules, her home kind of thing. And she was like, just please be respectful of what I'm looking for. You can do what you need to do and what you'd like to do once you once you move out and you're not under my my rule. Um, and so I said, fair game. You know, that sounds absolutely fine. I can be respectful of that. And I continued with archery for a little bit and was definitely, you know, a young kid and got into a couple of other things that I enjoyed and loved. Um, but when I got onto the other side of graduating college, um, I met someone and uh, our first date was going to a range. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, and I, I wanted to do this. And, you know, he was really excited to go and do it. And so we, we did, we went to a range and that was my first date with my now husband who I am married and just celebrated awesome. 22 years with. Um, and that was the first time I shot a handgun and uh, I fell in love. We had a couple of years where we were busy doing some other things and we lived in the five boroughs of Manhattan uh, and um, technically Brooklyn actually. And it's kind of impossible <laughs> to, get, yeah. to have any kind of real amount of work with firearms there. Um, and so when we moved, we kind of made a province to ourselves that we were going to get into it because it was something we were really interested in. So at uh, right around um, the, er, the mid aughts, I would say, uh, you know, we got our permits, we, we started, you know, getting involved in going to the range and, you know, this whole process was very normal, right? Uh, at that point, it was like going to the range, kind of having fun, um, you know, going with some friends of ours on the weekends and like uh, hitting bowling pins and stuff. And it was like, yeah. you know, it was just fun. It was, it was low key, it was not high pressure. You know, there wasn't really anything like that going on. And then we had seen, there was a local competition crew that was coming in and they were like, you should try this. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's crazy. I mean, I hadn't even thought about like getting into the holster aspect of things, you know, still very classically casual shooter. So um, we started to make friends with them. You know, there was some kind of poking around in that environment. And then um, long story short, my husband was working for a company in the firearms industry and won a certificate to go train at SIG Academy. And awesome. we went up there and it was like, Oh my God, I never want to leave. Game on. Never want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm going to figure out a way to like crawl into one of the spaces on the range and, and just live here. And um, we kind of did for a little while. And, um, you know, that was our first foray into an understanding training um, and the training aspect. And it, it absolutely was incredible. I, my, my husband and I both had been training in a dojo for quite a while ahead of this. Um, and it fed quite well into everything that we believed in. And um, it just became another extension of a martial art. And so we, uh, we both continued at essentially the same time um, with everything that we were doing. And uh, yeah, so today we, we have our own safes. <laughs> <laughs> if you catch my drift. <laughs> I, I, I get it. So, so it's funny. Yeah, that, that's um, funny. My wife and I have our own safes yeah, as well. It's, it's um, 
yeah, it's a real thing. So uh, these days it's 24 hours a day. Uh, we're on ranges at least five days a week on, on a, or six days a week on a heavy week and on a lighter week we're there probably like two, two, three times a week. Um, so a lot. <laughs> and, you know, dry fire at home, cleaning, maintenance, armoring at home, all that sort of stuff. But it's what we love. So it's not work. That is, that's amazing because you get the chance to live the lifestyle that you want to. Um, yeah. And and not many, not a lot of people get to do that. You know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philly. And uh, we en ended up living in Maryland. My father got oh, transferred yeah. down to Maryland. So I, I went from a fairly free state for firearms to mm -hmm. a fairly restrictive fairly state. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and I had been shooting since I was seven, but I didn't start competing until I was 21. Mm. Uh, I remember when I, on my 21st birthday, I went down to a gun store in Maryland and bought a Glock 17. And, you know, and then I started playing with Glock and then inside that, Tupperware case was this thing about GSSF. And I'm like, well, what's GSSF? And I found out it was, you know, comp competition shooting. And I'm thinking like Bianchi Cup and, uh, you know, all that stuff, right. you know, yeah. kind of scary and intimidating. Yeah. But then I started doing some research and uh, I started shooting GSSF matches, which led to um, IPSC, USPSA. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was my, that was my gateway drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's funny how once you start going down that um, that path, it, it will consume you. Yes. Uh, you know, that's all you think about is, yeah. hey, this is really, I mean, it, it's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you get to these clubs, these, you know, these matches, people are, people are there to like really support you. They're not there to, I mean, yes, you're competing against them, but they're also there to support you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it's a constant source of, you know, sort of, uh, I don't want to say like there, people aren't stunned, but uh, I think they're, they're generally surprised by the fact that, you know, when they hear that there's a local competition in the area and we, we always tell people like, just go, just go. And yeah. you will probably find that, you know, unless you're, you know, barred from handling for state's laws or whatever else you got going on, most people will just be like, here's the rig go have fun, like go yeah. try it out. You know, if you're, if you're safe and you're there and they're, you know, able to run you through a course of fire, um, you know, people are so supportive. Uh, if you're new and you're signed up and you're not sure, I mean, people are saying like, have you done this before? Can I help you out with this? You know, yeah. let me give you a tip. You know, I found the best way I approached this stage. That's, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And it's, it's not like, you know, the pools on the, on the roof, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah, not yeah. a conversation with people. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. And that's a great, you know, when, when the, when the RO says, do you understand the course of fire? Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there's two answers. Yes or yeah. no. Yeah. Um, if you yeah. say no, they'll walk you through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's their job is to run, a, you know, mm -hmm. a very, a, a, a shoot that's not only mm -hmm. safe, but fun yeah. that people can enjoy. And, and you know, like you said, I've gotten so many pointers just from, yeah. you know, people in my squad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, then it, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. The fact that you get to squad and you're not just showing up as an individual, just yep. in and of itself is, is so much value. It is. It is. And, and it's amazing how fast you can become a good shooter. And, you know, and that's, I, I like to say, you know, we have a community. 
you know, the firearms is a community. And we're really here to to help each other and and move the sport along. When uh, my wife and I, when we applied for our concealed carry permits here in Montana, we back then there was a requirement for um, for a, well, there still is, but we don't have technically concealed carry permits anymore. But you had to go through a class and prove your competency. And when uh, we went through that and it became range day, uh, we we had an ex highway patrol officer that that walked us through that. You know, I I've had. You know, I can't even think of how many hundreds of thousands of rounds that I've shot. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, we were talking offline. I had, I had just started switching off a Glock to Sig. Right. Okay. So I was running my I was running my Sig at the time. I was running my Sig two two nine. And then when we're done, I was like, "Hey, it's range time. I've got steel to shoot on. I'm going to have some fun." Yeah. So I pulled, you know, I pulled my Glock seventeen out, which Ooh, was my competition gun, and I'm just drilling targets. And it was funny because it was me and my wife and another couple. It was a very small class. This guy mm -hmm. will only teach maximum of six people at a time. Okay. And, you know, these people are sharing a 22 to, to get through their range time. And then, okay. you know, I come walking back and the guy goes, you know, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking to the, the officer or the ex-officer that used to do that. And he's like, yeah, you really do run that gun well. I'm like, yeah. And, and the other guy's like, yeah, that's really nice. I go. You want to shoot it? He's like, oh, no, no, no. And I, I was like, here, here's two Max. Go shoot it. He's like, oh, okay. So he Only goes one up. these days, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and even then, even then, it, it would be a California Mac, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, wouldn't even be, it wouldn't be the full 17 rounds. <laughs> um, but it's so, true. Yeah, that's a common yeah. refrain. So, you know, I'm he's up there shooting, and I'm, I was talking to the guy's name was Randy, who was running the class. And Randy's like, yeah, he goes, he came up because he runs that gun good. He goes, the other, that's his competition gun. <laughs> so, so, so the guy comes back and he, 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 he shot one mag. He goes, oh yeah, okay, that's great. And I go, I gave you two. <laughs> go shoot. Yeah. So he's like, no, no, no. I was like, yeah, go ahead and shoot. And I was talking to Randy and they didn't have a lot of money and they don't know what they want. And I'm like, he's like, thank you so much for letting him do that. I don't care. He can shoot my sig if he wants. I mean, how's how's he going to know what gun they're going to want unless they actually handle it? Yeah. So, and that's what I love about our industry, or about, about our sport and everything. Is just we're here to help each other and support each other. So, now that we've talked about guns for well about ten minutes. <laughs> Now that we've stopped ourselves from going now on. Now we stopped ourselves. <laughs> yeah, because we, we would be here all day talking all day. about, about mm -hmm. this stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Night Fission. Sure. So Night Fission is a night sight company. Kind of like a night sight company on steroids almost. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about the start of Night Fission, because I know it's with the two cousins. They, they founded the company. Sure. And they're in Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, but talk a little bit about the start of the company. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> essentially, the company on night fishing side is uh, somewhat new, right? So a little less than 10 years old now. But they brought this company about after uh, Kamenga, um, another company in um, the sort of the portfolio, as it were, uh, existing for about 30 years now. And that company is uh, the company that 
produces the lens attic comp uh, compass for the US military. It's got an NSN, it's issued. Um, if you went through a land nav course, you use Comango's compass. And the durability and the quality of ensuring that that tritium uh, survives all of the chaos of the land nav course, um, we, you know, we basically saw, or or they saw, um, another way for this tritium to be used in the marketplace. And one of the things that um, ended up being discussed was really doing night sights, but better. It's such a small element on the gun. And so when you have this tiny little fixed piece of metal that has tritium in it, that's for a, quite a while, as far as people were thinking, um, what they wanted to do was take a lot of what they had learned from the uh, the years of working with the military and on that compass and pour that into an extremely durable site, but also one that was engineered a little bit more past just putting a vial in, painting a ring on, and then you know sending it out the door. So um, what they had worked on recent times were just really ensuring that you know every element of the site was thought about so instead of painting the rings the um the vials held in with a ballistic polymer and that color is actually impregnated into the ring so it's not a paint it's the whole material um and as far as the the, the lens on the face of the sites they've all been across the board upgraded to and updated to as of, I believe, 2020, um, if I'm correct, uh, the domed lens. And that domed lens collimates the light that's emitted. And so I'm going to just get into that detail level in just a second, because I'm sure that might be either a new word or there's not maybe clarity on what that means. So I'll dive into that in just a second. Um, but the dome lens was very purposely engineered to create this crisp sight picture and not just leave it on the table like, okay, well, there's tritium and there's a sight and you're good to go. Hope, hope the best, right? Because it's this simple part of uh, sight alignment and sight picture. So uh, the collimating that happens in the dome lens is essentially, and you can kind of hear it in the word, it creates columns of lights. So these columns organize that light that's emitted um, by the tritium, which is truly a chemical reaction that's happening. It's, it's actually tritium and phosphor. Um, and when it's not collimated, if it's just a flat face, it emits it kind of like a, like a hazy glow. And mm -hmm. there's not much I want hazy on my sites. <laughs> Um, so with that being said, you know, the interest was, well, how is light focused in a number of other ways? And what also has hazy light? Um, and if there's anybody out there that likes to, um, take a look at those big, beautiful skies that you have out in Montana, uh, they're likely getting out something that also collimates unfocused hazy light, and that's a telescope. So one of the ways that you actually see light get sharper and organized um, is a process that's found in um, some tele telescopes as well. So it's essentially a pickup of something that we've known on in a different in a different industry and placed in a very very tiny way into a night sight, so that when the lights go low or dark completely, 
the site element that you see, that tritium isn't just kind of like generally hazy glowing. It is abundantly clear where the element of that site ends and you can see that crisp ridge. And it, it matters whether or not you have great eyesight or you don't. I mean, as we age, we see that those front sights might haze a little bit just due to our own eyes. Right? Just a little okay. bit. You're going to admit that just a tiny bit, right? Um, yep. And so if the sight's hazy to begin with, yeah, you know, we're talking about a pretty big grow in glow there where we're not really looking for that to happen. So, you know, picking out a site that gives you a fighting chance where you know, we have such a substantial time with that tritium glowing, um, like well over because we add a little bit more tritium than, uh, than most, um, you know, we expect our glow to last well over 12 years. So, you know, 12 years from now, what's, what's your eyesight going to be? If you still got the sights on the gun, you're still running the gun. Why not give yourself a head start and pick the thing that will offer you the clearest, crispest, site picture um or well yeah i suppose site picture yeah. at this point so yeah because it, it's it, it's important that and that's why i say that it's a kind of a night site on steroids is because mm -hmm. you know in your marketing material you guys add 30 percent more tritium than really anybody else yeah i mean you really kind of make sure that thing glow yeah um you know so and, Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that also, too, we find is, you know, we have a couple of different products that we offer. Um, they're all sites. They're site products. Um, but within the handgun site products, there are there are some, um, you know, are really popular optics ready sites. Um, and, you know, with something like that, it's also vital, I think, um, for people who are really, you know, carrying their gun and they're in a number of different environments. Maybe they're out camping. Maybe they're in hotels. These sites, no matter whether or not you're you're actually using them as your primary aiming system, which would be on our excuse me on our standard iron size or our you know as a secondary or a backup system with an optics as your primary an optic as your primary sighting system. The, crisp, the Christmas of excuse me the crispness of those sites make a pretty big difference in indexing your gun as well. So, I mean, I know everybody kind of knows their own home, that's fine, but if you travel at all or you're anywhere in an unfamiliar environment, just being able to index your gun, you know? Yep. I mean, if you drop it in its skids and it's a dark area and, you know, you're trying to locate that gun, you can immediately tell the direction of that muzzle. You can immediately understand what you need to do to realign it. If it gets bumped in your hand, like you smack it into a barrier and you're doing low light work. So those sites being as powerful as they are, have so many applications beyond even just the whole idea of developing that site picture. Just an indexing of your muzzle is a huge element that you gain when you add something like that on there as well. I like what you're where you're going with the unknown. So I used to I used to be a road warrior. I you know I carried my firearm out here in the West. Our permit was, you know, all the surrounding states accepted our carry permit. So I always carried my gun. Um, my employer kind of knew I did it, even though it was against policy. But I'd rather be you know rather be tried by twelve than carried by six. Right. Um, 
So when bad things happen, especially when you're carrying firearms, it's usually not in an environment that you're familiar with. Sure. Right. Um, usually crimes happen at night where that's where they, they know the area. You don't. It's night. You have limited vision. Um, you know, like you say, also saying in hotels, you know, I know my house. I know it really well. I've lived in this house over 15 years. But, you know, when I'm on the road or when I was on the road, I'm not on the road anymore. Thank God. <laughs> um, that was that's that was important to me. So, you know, we were talking offline in we we're talking a little bit here. And yes, all these firearms I have are unloaded and checked. And I know all the ones that you have are unloaded and checked. But when I went from SIG to uh, from Glock to the, this SIG, this was my first SIG. First thing I did was yank the sights off and put night sights on because that was also my carry gun as well. Mm -hmm. And that was my biggest thing is I wanted to be able, especially on a gun that I'm new with. I mean, my Glock 17, I knew inside out, backwards, forwards. I knew what it was going to do. You know, I, I wore out so many parts in that Glock just sure. shooting it and competing. Yeah. Now I have a new gun. It, it, it really did help me get used to that gun. Now I know where those shots are going to go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that's important just in itself. Add the fact that I'm on the road and in, in environments I'm not used to. That helps me make sure that, that gun is under control, you know, under my control. And I know. Um, so I love where you're going with that because I don't think people think about that. No, uh, you know, it's... People, most people put night sights on their gun that goes in the safe in their in their nightstand mm -hmm. and probably sits there for years <laughs> before it's handled again. Yeah. And um, arguably, you know, most people are not going to be in the extenuating circumstances that we talk yeah. about. But we have firearms safety rules based off of extenuating circumstances. We conduct ourselves based off of those worst case scenarios. We prepare ourselves to face those kind of, you know, tiny little slivers of life that um, don't occupy our brain space 100% of the time because they don't operate, you know, on the reg and we're not sitting there constantly fighting people every single day, we have to train ourselves to prepare for it. Otherwise we just simply won't be. Um, and part of that uh, kind of pie chart of stuff that can happen, um, you know, the unfamiliar environment is a big element because, you know, the, as, the, as it's classically spoken about, um, terrain dictates your tactics and we're, we're dealing with the situation where I, I might want to be in, in my familiar house, but I'm not, you know, and if that hotels, yeah. you know, had their, uh, their emergency alarm flipped, pulled, or is legitimately on fire. And I just got there four hours ago and I went to sleep two hours ago. I'm yeah. probably not going to know that hotel that well. And if I've got to right. grab my gun, I don't want to be like, I grabbed it wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing I'm doing is like, guess I'll go. You know, I mean, there's going to be yeah. not panic, but there's going to be urgency. And with urgency, we're looking for efficiency. And what we want in that scenario is we want as many knowns as possible because we know that we can't deal with the unknowns. And if one of those knowns is, I know exactly how my gun is oriented, even if I hit it as I was going past. Yeah. 
to, I don't know, access something. But ultimately, it just helps provide a control or a known in a situation where we know inherently that we won't be able to do a lot about it um, as far as, you know, setting up our perfect scenario. Yeah. It's funny because so the firearms instructor is coming out in you in that in this conversation. Oh, hold back! Hold back! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's great to hear because people don't think about this. I mean, I I'm very big on training with your firearm. You know, yeah. we talked offline about dry fire. Dry fire is very important for you to do. Plus, it's also cheap. Um, you need to understand the firearm that you have. Sure. Um, you know, and, and I, I laugh about the whole night site, you know, where I say people buy their gun, put it in the nightstand, um, and it sits there because I know of a firearm in a nightstand just in this house that probably hasn't been out of that nightstand in three years. Um, just because it's not a primary mm -hmm. firearm right now, it's, it's a secondary. But I also know that I bought that firearm for my wife. Well, we've been, we're coming up in 23 years. Um, yeah, we're coming up in 23 years next weekend. And I bought that when we were dating. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, earlier about that night site. You're, you're going past 12 years. I mean, you, you're, the warranty of night vision is, I believe, 16 years for the, the standard green night sites. Yeah, because um, of the volume that we put in of tritium. Right. Now I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, you know, I know. I I know what that's. I, I lied because it did come. That the firearm did come out of the safe uh, a couple of weekends ago because I changed the batteries in it <laughs> um, after I found the key to get into it. Um, but I mean that we're now talking about a gun that's 25 years old. Mm -hmm. Those night sights are just. They're not glowing anymore. Well, no. I mean, they glow just a little bit. A little bit. Half life. Yeah. Uh, half life. Yeah. So they're, I mean, these are things that they're not, where I'm kind of going with this, this is not set it and forget it, right? I mean, you do eventually have to maintain these things where, you know, you may have to change your night sights out later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it, it kind of depends on your contact with the gun, like, like you're talking mm -hmm. about, right? So we have a gun in a, in a nightstand that um, is acting as uh, a backup right? Arguably, um, sounds like yep. if you're locating the it key. Is. Okay. So yeah. um, if it's acting as a backup, um, you know, those are the ones that can often um, end up being the orphans in the armory. And, <laughs> you know, when you are dealing with anything that's on there, that's battery operated, um, the best way to do it is, I don't know about you, but I mean, despite the fact that I have lived in the city um, in Manhattan area, like the five boroughs, I'll, I'll say, um, despite the fact that I live in Brooklyn or I worked in Manhattan um, and was very close to things like Times Square, uh, never in my life have I ever wanted to be in the middle of those throngs on New Year's Eve. Um, and, you know, I always found it was much more fun to go to breakfast with my friends the next morning. Um, but all of this is to say, like, pick a day um, once a year that you can go and you can check on your guns. Um, and I often say, like, pick an obvious day that you're home, that you're not working. Um, you know, everybody has kind of different jobs and they might have different reasons to be working on holidays, especially if you're first responder. But ultimately, 
you know, if you can say to yourself, well, I mean, I'm not the type to go out and get all banged up on New Year's Eve. And most of my friends are just kind of kicking around uh, and not necessarily coming over on the first. Maybe the first is the right day to go and make that your battery day or your site check day. Um, and all those little bits and bobs that often get forgotten about until you need to employ them. Um, so, you know, uh, lubrication can sit um, if it's good quality. But things like sites, front sites on Glocks are sort of notoriously um, a little weird yeah. depending on their um, their tolerance for uh, thickness in an aftermarket slide um, is one of the biggest culprits on why front sites will uh, start to walk off. But ultimately, checking on the little things shouldn't happen at the same time that you're checking clear, right? So it's not that simple I'm going to do all of the things at the same time that becomes overwhelming. And we often start to slack a little bit, but separating these yeah. things out and making like a battery and a site day, basically any of your sighting system day. Um, once a year is a great time to do it. Cause you can get in and you can dig in on your rifles. You can dig in on um, anything else that you have for accessories, like, you know uh, any kind of weapon mounted lights. I mean, generally some of those, um, you might need to check on a more frequent basis depending on their job, but pick a day, you know, and do that kind of work. Uh, depending on the type of si uh, safe that you have, um, if you have one of those larger safes, every time you open that safe, if if it doesn't have an auto light and maybe you have like a tap light and for a second it's dark, there's your opportunity to check on your sites. If they're all lined yep. up with bookends like a library, um, which you know, you're not supposed to stack your safes like that, but I don't know. Um, so you have a good opportunity to see whether or not some of those tritium elements are starting to fail. Um, and I've seen, and I won't like, you know, listen, we're, we're kind of all friends here. So I'm not here to um, dog on any of our, um, our fellow competitors, but they are just that they're fellows. Um, and, you know, I've seen sites uh, from other manufacturers fail sooner. And it is remarkable to see the difference between um, a new pair of sites, uh, especially a pair of ours uh, stacked up literally next to a pair of failing sites that really were only like four or five years old. So it's not yeah. a time frame that one would expect those sites to fail, but they were failing. And they would only likely have been seen um, outside of that, uh, by getting pulled out and used in class, and that would be the best case scenario. The worst case scenario would be that gun would have been pulled out, used um, for a carry gun, and then you know put in a scenario that it just would not have had any benefit for um, the user. So, you know, I mean, yeah. And I like where you're going with that because you know, like I showed my Sig two two nine. You know, this gun I've had about 14 years now um the first thing i did was change the sights out of it mm -hmm. and no they are not your sights <laughs> um i know who's they are don't worry <laughs> <laughs> i know who's, um, who's go down on those guns <laughs> um, so i mean you know this used to be my carry mm -hmm. you know this used to be my carry gun yeah. it's it's now i wouldn't even say it's a secondary gun it's more like third or fourth tier now mm -hmm. um you know it's it's the gun that i just i feel i feel bad about right because i just it doesn't get any love anymore yeah but i also know that those night sights are shot yeah um 
and and they've been shot for a while. I haven't really worried about changing the night sights because again, it's that far out of the rotation. Sure. That really, it's it's a I'm going to take this as a range gun because. I, I just haven't shot it in a while. Yeah, and sentimental um, value, right? You know, I mean, I'm never selling yeah, my first gun. <laughs> and, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it's, you know, it, it gets to the point where, uh, you know, right now it's just, it's so easier. <laughs> it's so easy to, you know, it, it, with all the new guns come out, my my sure. carry gun changes so so often. Yeah. Especially with me, with me testing guns out, mm-hmm. um, I just don't have to change light sights because yeah. by the time I have to change it, that gun's now you know a third or fourth tier gun. Mm-hmm. But it is important to remember that you do need to check that. I mean, now I, I said that safe. I needed to find the key. I can say my safe. Different right. story. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, um, like at least. At least nowadays, um, a lot of manufacturers have kind of caught on and they're starting to release uh, guns that are marketed in the kind of carry sector with better options, Um, with the exception of one company who I think, and we're all, we all kind of believe this is the case that these are just placeholders, guys. (laughs) This is, this is plastic. Okay, so there isn't going to be any reality where these are going to be a huge benefit to you. Um, I appreciate they offer this. I'm going to see if I can try and do this in backwards. Um, (laughs) This kind of sight picture um, might be appealing to people because guess what? Sites are very, very personal and no one is here to tell, you know, the world that you have to have a U-notch rear or that you have to have a square notch or that you have to have... Um, black and rear or that you, whatever. And the list goes on. Um, But one of the things that I generally tell people, if you are picking up a new Glock is that, you know, these, these literally just keep the dovetails clean for you. That's about as much positivity as these offer you. Um, And, you know, so on this particular type of firearm, this is a Glock 19 slide. Um, these particular sites, you know, this is what I will often tell people, like, this is the first thing you're, you're changing out. Um, shoot it for a little while, make some decisions. Uh, you were also kind of talking about ergonomics before switching between yep. um, Glock and then SIG and that the gun feels different. And I always tell people who are a little bit newer to guns, you know, don't start modding the car the first time you jump in and make oh. it successfully around the parking lot. Drive for a little bit, then make decisions about I want different tires because I don't like the tire feel on these, or I gotta I gotta find a car with a different seat, or I've got to adjust stuff. So um, on firearms, for the most part, the first thing that generally gets changed and customized are those sights. But without question, if if it if it looks like this and it's on your carry gun, uh, you're not doing yourself yeah. any help here. So yeah, you know, <laughs> just to just to kind of make this even more stark. Let's stark. Let's see. I'll. I'll grab my kill switch here for my my lights like not much and this is the light from my laptop and my camera trying to help yeah (laughs) and that's you know and and one thing that we you know we talk about is well you know one of the rules of of firearm safety is know your target know what's beyond it which is which is important when you're talking about you know a a low light or night you know shooting Mm mm-hmm well, on top of that is, you know, you got to make sure your bullet is going to make it to its intended path. 
yes as well those sites are just not going to help out with that that's yeah. why you know that's why well night sites came about is you know we want to be able to see what the orientation of that is we've identified that we have a threat in front of us and we need to make sure that our bullet will make it to that threat mm -hmm. um and that's why you know like i said on my on my sig uh my sig 229 I like to say, as much as I like SIGs, SIG is usually fashionably late to the party. Um, you know, SIG didn't really offer night sites back then. I mean, mm -hmm. they they did, but you had to pay extra. It, it was a pain to get a SIG with night sites. Um, mostly those were blue label guns for the, for the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're a civilian, you're buying these things, you had to switch out your sites. Now, God, just about every SIG has a night site on it now, right. just, just because. I mean, that's the way that the industry is going, because that's where the customer demand is. We're now demanding these things happen. So if you do have a firearm, and like you said, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a range gun. Mm -hmm. you know, this, is, this is a gun that you're going to use for you know, protection. Mm -hmm. yeah, those, those rear sights, now I've pushed many of those rear sights out of, of Glocks. I mean, Glock is a polymer company. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Gaston Glock was, that was his thing, was he he knew polymers. Yeah, with that Glock 44, man, it's all over the slide now. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so, I mean, and why would they not have plastic into your sights? Um, I wouldn't trust, uh, and I don't, um, I don't trust plastic sights on slides. Um, you know, we if, even if we talk about you know, if we're shooting guns, you know, slides are going to build up heat. You have expansion and contraction of metal, even though it's so small, you're never going to see it. But what's it going to do to that plastic as well? Those sites will, that rear sight will eventually drift within that dovetail. Well, actually, it's not even really a dovetail. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's uh, not on the front, but on, on the rear. Not on the front, but the rear. And, yes. and quite often, you know, what I, I see more than anything is that this plastic gets marred um, yep. and pretty pretty aggressively so. So you can really dig a substantial channel into the ears of the sight blades. Um, and all of that can, you know, contribute to affecting um someone who is uh, attempting to uh, take some sort of precision shot. I mean, the reality is the uh, the 19s, the 48s, and, and, and barrel length up, right? Um, you know, you don't even see, it's. they've acknowledged this to some degree because you will not see these sites uh, in that same manner on their 34s because they understand, oh, well, you know, we want to put the adjustables on there. You start to see those guns out. And for a company that is so um, uniform in the way that they release guns, uh, that's always been remarkable to me. Uh, to see an adjustable sight on a Glock is stunning. Um, I know it's been out for a little while, but still, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I mean, there are a lot of steel sight bodies that offer white painted dots and they're kind of in the same boat where, you know, low light can mean the lights went out. You know, I live on a mountain um, and we lose power and that's a real thing. And if, um, you know, if for some reason the generator doesn't kick in, I still have lights lost and I might know my house, but all of a sudden I don't have control over the lighting conditions. Um, you know, anything that goes on where your, uh, 
your handheld light, which uh, especially on smaller guns, that's more of a reality that the light is not mounted. Um, you know, you, yes, you can splash in a cheek position, right? Or yes, you can kind of give yourself a little bit of splash upwards. But ultimately, um, as you said, I mean, there have been plenty of instances of people who have not identified their target and their threat, and they've ended up shooting a family member, a kid kind of, you know, sneaking back in and all of these horrific things happen and there's absolutely no reason for it. Um, you do need to be able to identify what you're attempting to destroy, period. Um, and, you know, part of uh, dealing with engagements in the home, the reality is, you know, you might have a wall where that's, you know, that's green engagement. Like you can, you can deal with a threat along that wall, but they often don't stay put just because that's the best case scenario. And if you have kids in the home or anybody else that's, you know, attempting to make way to a safe location, um, you know, the idea that you miss is horrific, but the idea that you miss and you do any kind of harm to your own family has a whole other layer to it. Um, So it's, it's just, it's critical that your equipment is as serious as the potential um, engagement that you might be getting into. And sites that are plastic are just not serious equipment. That's essentially what it boils down to. That's fine for the range, but it's truly something that you have got to make a change to. And white painted dots are essentially in the same boat. Yep, their steel sight bodies and um, they'll offer you some durability, but ultimately you do want to have something that you can see. Um, and you know, the reality is uh, for most people, night sights fulfill their ability to see their sights. And I want to be very clear because sometimes get this people get this convoluted. Night sights won't do anything for you to reveal who you're shooting at. You do need to have some sort of white light on whatever you're attempting um, to address. However, um, like we said before, indexing your gun, having an understanding of your barrel and your sight alignment and where your gun is in space. If you don't have two hands on the gun, guess what? That gets even more difficult to do unless you train it frequently. Um, so it's just about putting yourself in the best case scenario and equipping yourself seriously for that very serious occasion. And while we're talking about plastic, there's a reason why night sights are not in plastic. Yes. They're in metal. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're in metal for more than one reason. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, uh, we don't want to produce anything that's going to, um, you know, fall out get a little scratch and then and then be like sorry we're you know that's the end of us um but they are they're holding a pretty big vial um certainly i'll speak for our sites right um we like you said before we put about 30 percent more tritium in our vials so we expect our sites to be far far more robust and they are physically larger Uh, the vial that the tritium and phos are in is actually larger um, than what uh, you will often find on the market. And in um, surrounding that vial is our ballistic polymer that's impregnated with whether it's, and we, we've, I think we're no longer offering our phosphorus uh, pigment in anything other than our standard height products, um, which are just irons replacements. Um, but for the most part across the board, everything is a fluorescent 
pigment, which means it reflects light uh, very well. Um, phosphorus can actually charge up and have a little bit of a glow in the dark element, but that ring is not painted. It's impregnated with that color. So even if something crazy were to happen or something came across the face of that front sight or rear sight, it's not going to chip. It's not going to remove that color. Um, if, if it was gouged for some reason, it's not going to change the color that you see in the ring. It's not going to be like a, like a layer cake, like taking a bite out of something and only the top is that color. Right. So all of that and, you know, making sure that these vials are sealed, they're housed correctly, that they are inserted and kind of locked into their housing. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we have a substantial material to house all of that. So our site bodies are steel. Um, those site bodies all by themselves are, again, something that we have drilled down and thought about. Um, our engineer is uh, constantly um, adding uh, some chamfers to our sites so that we can make sure that we don't chew up all of your clothing. Um, sharp sites in carry is a it thing. Happens. You know? <laughs> yeah, yep. it happens. Um, some of us spend, you know, a pretty good amount of money on our clothing. Maybe it's some work clothing. Um, it's not necessarily our primary concern with our sites, right? But I mean, it's right. definitely a reality. So why not address it? Um, so that's uh, something that we're we're constantly looking at um, and improving. Um, we do have some serrations on some of our site products, and some of our site pro products are flat faced. Um, and that in right here. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you'll see the serrations right now. We actually have on three site products. We're in the process of um, finishing up our revised website, which we're very excited about to um, help make it even easier to understand our product array. But um, with that being said, our accurate sites are um, getting these same serrations uh, that we see on our Optics Ready and our Costa. And those serrations are not just slapped on there as well. Um, those have been thought about. Um, we've actually um, developed a real fine serration at this point and um, with some new products that are about to be launched, which we're very excited about. Uh, and those super fine serrations do a very specific job. And that is we expect you to carry your guns. And if we have these big, wide um, serrations, sometimes they can accumulate dirt, um, sloughed skin, you know, whatever you got going on, like the belly button lint, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, drawing your gun out. Yeah. That's a reality, right? It um, is. Gary, yeah. you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so ultimately, they accumulate less of that in the serrations, which um, is always a benefit. Uh, because when you draw your gun out, you don't want to be like, hold on, hold on. All right, game on. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to work too well. Um, so and then they also reflect even less light. So if you are working from a cheek position where um, you're doing something where you're doing a search and you do have the gun out um, and it's somewhere in the island, there's even less potential for splash. And I think people don't really understand exactly why serrations are there. And it's it's for that is so that you yeah. can eliminate that glare coming off mm -hmm. that back sight. Yeah. I think some people think, oh, it's you know tactical, just it, it's tactical. No, it, it actually has a function. has a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you start competing, you learn that really quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> about and the, I think, about serrations. 
I think there is, there are, you know, I mean, and to their part, you know, people making that assumption, I can absolutely understand why, because, you know, sometimes there are things that have Molly and pals on them that I have question marks about. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. this is like gratuitous. Um, yes. But ultimately, <laughs> when we're talking about large um, sight body faces, uh, for the most part, the reason why we are employing serration on certain products is because of the expectation that you are carrying them. With suppressor heights, um, they don't currently have, nor do I, and, and this is the only thing that I'm, I'm not 100% on, I don't believe we expect to bring serrations to our suppressor heights because they truly are designed for suppressors. Um, and uh, that's kind of a different application. Um, but ultimately, with our Optics Ready, Stealth, Costa, and now Accurate carrying our serrations, the expectation is that these are going on carry guns and they're going to be, you know, uh, used in a multiple different environment uh, with multiple different lighting conditions. And we want to give everybody as best um a fighting chances they can with the standard height there's just not a lot of sight body back there um no. but it has been part of the discussion i just can't make any promises on that particular product line it's it's funny i just I, i'm smiling because i just had this this vision go through my head because we we're talking about they're not on suppressor height because you're probably not going to be carrying a gun with a suppressor right mm -hmm. i mean and, and what went through my mind was Martin Short in um, the Three Amigos when they gave him the gun with the with yeah. it was like eighteen inch barrel. Yeah. Just imagine drawing with a suppressor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, much like much to the chagrin of people who are on the other side of the two A uh, argument. I, I, it is not just about you know dealing death quieter. Yeah, um, it's a very very different application now. I, I. Fully appreciate there are a lot of people out there that run optics that prefer a close to an absolute co-witness still. Yep. It is less and less these days. I'm a big believer of removing as much sight body from your optic window as possible because that's the advantage of the optic window. However, I'm not saying people are wrong. Again, contracts back to everybody's preference, but um, ultimately, because we we see that for the most part, when people are tracking to suppressor height, it has more to do with the fact that we currently offer a single blade height in our Optics Ready Stealth series for each model. And so for people who had different optics uh, mounted on their guns, like a Delta Point Pro, um, or on a slimline optic with uh, a lot of our first responders, you know, those contracts come in and their options are limited. They've got to pick something that they have the equivalent of on their duty gun. And with the RMRCC, we also see a pretty substantial oh. battery pack. Um, oops, did I lose you? No, nope, you're still there. Okay, great. And I was just, uh, I was just pulling off the. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so with that single blade height, which it's truly, you know, this is a good example, right? So this is our optics ready. Um, try and do this so you can see the chamfering and the blade flats. And this is what mounted on an MOS. I think this is my 17. Um, no, this is my 19. What am I saying? Uh, with a CH precision plate. And this is a 508T, right? So um, with this particular setup, it, it works quite well, right? So mounted, um, I'm able to actually co-witness. Um, now, 
for someone who has a larger battery pack than this, right? So I'm gonna try and turn this so I can catch the light correctly. So someone who has a larger battery pack than this, we're dealing with a situation where they may have to go, so I'm just talking about right back here, right? Um, so with this lining up across the board here, right? Um, right at this point, I get to see my sights over my battery pack. But if I had a larger, either a thicker plate or a larger battery pack, I'm gonna run into trouble and I won't be able to take advantage of this product. So then my alternative then is to go and get suppressor height sights. So we didn't want for that to be people's only path. Um, so we are about to release the uh, blade heights, the alternative blade heights um, for people who have taller optics. So uh, definitely if you have not signed up to be on our news list uh, over at nightvision.com, you should. And that way, if you do have a loophole Del Delta Point Pro or on a slimline, an RMRCC, uh, we're gonna be offering a couple other alternative blade heights for our SIG owners and for our HK owners as well, uh, right out of the box. We do plan to pull some alternative blade heights across all of the uh, manufacturers that we offer our optics ready in, um, but this is to solve that problem because one blade height cannot rule them all. Uh, there are too many different combinations. Um, we also have people who have milled guns that have optics that sit very low. If you guys are big Holosun fans, you're familiar with the EPS um, that just came out that everybody's very excited about. And there are other, um, they're both their enclosed and their non-enclosed solar-based emitters. And they're very, very low, which is awesome. But um, to say that, you know, our single blade height is gonna solve all of these different variables is just naive. So we've gone back and we've created some more. And here's an example of where you would need another blade. Um, now I run SIGs and SIG has their own, you know, cut mm -hmm. for the Romeo sites. Mm -hmm. So here is a Crimson Trace mm -hmm. on my, um, my X5, mm -hmm. my P320 X5. Well, in order to do that, I need a conversion plate. So if you want to run, let's just say you have an RMR cut slide and you're going to run something that's not RMR cut, you're going to have to put a conversion plate onto that, which is going to raise your yes. sight, you know, go raise your optic, which now you got to go raise your sights if you're going to co-witness. And mm -hmm. um, I'm a very big fan of co-witness. Unfortunately, on this X5, this is actually my competition gun. Um, the way SIG does does this thing is weird because you actually have to remove the rear sight. Yeah. Um, but when you get into, you know, the newer P-series where they're actually starting to cut um, the slides, I, I would say correctly for optics, that's where you kind of, you get that advantage. Yes. But yeah, it's, and that's, you know, I'm glad to, to see that is that, you know, I, I've always been, you don't, I, I don't want to trust an optic completely. Um, I can bang optics around, they can come off center and stuff like that. So it's, it's really important to do for me, especially on a, on a carry gun to co-witness. That way, if for some reason my battery fails, um, I can still revert back to my iron sights. Um, I, I, I'm not, a, on my rifles, like on my AR, I will co-witness an optic with my um, 
with my sites and it'll pass straight through. So that way, if that dot goes down, my sites are still the same thing. On a pistol, I don't want a really tall front blade. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would want it to get a little bit lower. That way it's less to snag on, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. if I have an AR, I already have a nice big tall sight in the front. I'm already going to snag it. But now talk a little bit about co-witnessing with your products there because sure. we, we talked about it. Um, you know, how does that work with, with your sites? So I would say um, there are just at the very beginning of it, co-witnessing, meaning being able to see some level of site alignment um, inside of the optic window. Right. So I just want to make sure that that's abundantly clear because sometimes people don't necessarily quite know what that really means. But essentially, it's you are also able to witness site alignment with irons at the same time and in the same location that you are, you know, with a functioning dot able to see the dot from your optic. Um, it is not part of the acquiring of the of the dot and shooting of the dot right so you're not aligning your sights and then moving to your dot and then going to your thread or your target um it is there simply as a backup so if the optic fails and uh you know you're you're not at a distance where you can employ some of the the tactics or not tactics but techniques of um how to circumvent um a, a non-functioning optic. There are some really cool uh, techniques that have been developed, but having irons on there uh, doesn't also necessarily mean you can just go to those irons and, you know, um, point of aim, point of impact, because as you said, they're taller. Um, so like, again, going back to our uh, not so great um, OEM Glock, <laughs> what we got going on yep. here, right? So they're pretty, they're pretty short, right? They're pretty low to the barrel. They're very close to our bore axis in here. So um, with that being the case, right? It's a pretty stark contrast, right? So again, here's another 19 slide um, to the front sight blade. Well, there we go, I gotta go backwards there. <laughs> pretty, pretty stark contrast to what's going on here on a front sight blade from what we currently have from our optics ready line. So that's a noticeable difference here uh, and between these two blade heights. Um, here's a good example of, uh, I know these are tiny, so it's almost easier to show them on the guns, but that's our, our standard height. And this is our optics ready. And you can see there, it's almost double. significant. Size, yeah. Right? So almost double the size. I should. I can't quite do this the way they do it on like <laughs> makeup tutorials or whatever. Um, but <laughs> but ultimately, so we have essentially double the height of our front sight blade, and and not too far away from just about double the height on our rear sight. So I appreciate that this is a 43. Um, this is designed for the 43 and 43 MOS, uh, and that is uh, designed for the 43. Uh, as a standard height. So there's your rear blade heights. There we go, now I can catch the light. And you can see how different in height these truly are, but they're about the same front to rear ratio um, because they are designed for that particular firearm. So they, they are uh, uh, kind of cousins of that. And so when we have something that has a significantly taller blade height, we do have to what's called pattern our gun. People frequently hear that when we're talking about shotguns. 
but it is a universal concept. So if you're going to try and see where your point of aim, point of impact is on your gun, that would be an example of patterning. And you should pattern anything that you have on your gun that is an iron sight system. And as you mentioned before, right, so um, less and less people uh, these days, depending on the rifle's application, have iron sights on their rifles, but on on slides, on pistols, they're moving. Yep. And they're moving back and forth at uh, like real, there are some real Gs in the mix there, I believe. Um, someone recently was quoted as saying it was seven Gs. Uh, and so when we're dealing with sighting systems that are getting rattled around like that, as opposed to just being fixed on a rail and an upper receiver, um, we do have to make sure that they are robust, but also too, um, you got to check in with them. And it's okay if there's a shift in point of aim, point of impact from your original OEM sites. It's expected when they're that tall, but you do yeah. have to know where they where they hit. And that's just about knowing your holds the same way you got to know your holds on your optic. So sometimes we hear from customers and they're like, oh, it's different. I, I put um, I put your your standard height sights on my gun and uh, and I promise I'll get back to co-witnessing, but this that's is fine. crazy. Um, but I put my sights on your gun and they're a little, they're different. They're hitting different. Um, when, when you change the color of your front sight and you upgrade it to a bright visible yellow ring, sometimes when we put new sight products on our guns, we, we know it's related to our point of aim, point of impact. Sometimes with our irons, we're so eager to see where our hits go that we start to drag our guns down a little bit. So there's all of these things that come into play. Suffice to say that you need to shoot sights for quite a, you know, quite a few magazines, a couple hundred rounds to really get familiar with how they behave and how your eyes and your own internal aiming system behave with the sights. And so for co-witnessing, when we're dealing with like a lower one third um, or an absolute, the absolute meaning the expectation is that the dot uh, essentially covers over the front sight. Um, and that's all language that's been kind of pulled over from, you know, rifles and non-magnified optics from there. But ultimately, the uh, the idea behind that is that you don't have the point of aim, point of impact shift, right? That's the goal there. I don't want to do any shooting math. I want it to be super easy. But I find that it's next to impossible to always make sure that your dot is going to be directly over the front sight and the dot is doing what it needs to do. Especially because we may not want to zero our dot at 25 yards. You might have yep. a good reason for zeroing it at 15, at 10. Yep. Um, those are options, right? You don't have to yep. do 25. I have my optics zeroed at the longest distance shot in my home. And everything that I have that I use for home defense is, in, is the same zero. So I only have to know those holds because it makes it simple. But the absolute co-witness also um, has another drawback, like we mentioned before, is that there's generally a lot of material, sight body material in the window. And when you have all these cool optics like the SRO or even the Delta Point Pro with these big windows, what's the point if 50% of that window is going to be taken up with these big black sights? Exactly. Um, lose the invisibility. So that's where people have really gravitated toward this one third and even less than that. 
Um, so with the lower one third, um, just as it says, the expectation is if you know your dots here and the base of your battery pack is here, you wanna be in the lower one third section of that space between the two. Still, when you zero your dot and you true it to you, I mean, that dot is not always dead center in that window. Um, and as we mentioned before, the depth of the milling in the gun, like SIGs are notoriously shallow. They don't sit yes. very deep in the slide. No, not at all. Um, and just as you mentioned, showed us before with the plates that are available, that's going to add in another bump of the optic moving further up above the top strap of that slide. and whether or not it's a milled gun or it's one of those new EPS carries with that super, super low pro battery pack or non-existent basically, um, a plating system or um, just a large battery pack on an optic, all of those come into play and they change what kind of height these things sit above the top strap. So with all of these variables offering one thing just you know it was tough for us um and for people who really want that lower one third what we did is we went and we looked at the most popular optics that had also arguably the most uh the closest to the most battery pack height variations like we took like two we're not trying to become the cheesecake factory of yeah. options nope. here because that's an overwhelming menu yeah. and yes. we don't need to do that to you guys. Um, <laughs> we're picking some of the best heights. And then from there, yeah, there's going to be a little squiggle here and there, you know, depending on your gun, um, the plate. There's only so much we can do because we're dealing with a fixed yeah. piece of metal that's coming coming up against and pairing with a lot of variables. Um, so your preference is there for some people, they wanna see the entire round of the sight element um, for their co-witness. Some people are like, nope, I, I only wanna see about halfway the through. Half. Yep. It's a personal It's a personal thing. It's, it is. It's not right or wrong, but um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's important to understand is it, it's not right or wrong. It is, mm -hmm. however you can shoot the firearm the most yeah. effectively is works for you. Yes. Um, you know, for if we go through just regular iron sights, like what works for me does not work for my wife. Mm -hmm. uh, she she has a, a Beretta Cheetah is her her carry gun. Mm -hmm. It fits her hand perfectly, um, and it's just got a round dot in the front, and the mm -hmm. back sight has a half round dot, and that sight just works for her i look at it and i'm just like i, I don't know how you shoot mm -hmm. this gun yeah but it just works for her yeah um so and that's where personal preference comes in it's yeah, important absolutely. to have that personal preference um and i also like you know and it's something i completely didn't even think about on pistol where you're talking about not absolute co-witness co where you can actually do have different um distances now, i'm now thinking about that in a competition shoot where, yeah, you could you could co you could have your iron sights at a different point of impact, and you know I'm thinking for like me with three gun shooting mm -hmm. a rifle, um, right. you know you can you can have multiple sights. You know I'll have my sights, and you can have another set of irons hanging off the side for a different, um, you know, for a different distance. And, and I didn't even think about that that you could get even more flexibility out of your pistol with that. Yeah, I mean, you can have your, you know, your knowns 
as long as they're yep. knowns, right? And uh, this right. is going constantly with people. I'll say like, hey, have you patterned your irons, your co-witnessing irons? Where do they hit? Where are they zero? And it's like, what? I mean, I just put them on because I'm supposed to. Because the internet told yeah. me. It's like, no, no, you, <laughs> you have to do it. You well, have to find that out. <laughs> well, and it's funny, as I was just thinking is, um, when you pattern a gun, you're not patterning it on a steel target. You're doing it no, on a paper no. target to yeah, see you, where it hits. You know, I'm like, I drew my gun, I shot, and it rang the steel. Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's not good enough. It's not. Yeah, that's the general area of. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for you know just understanding like, um, just getting yourself into the point where everything is unknown does take work. It does take time. It does take time out of your day it takes time at the range it takes ammunition but once they're known they're known for the most part right they're they're not yes. forever you know one and done but um you know checking in with the grain weight if you're going from 115 as your training ammunition and you're an the accomplished shooter yeah. and then you carry 147 you actually have the potential to see a difference in hits right yes. so uh you know and i'm and this is you know this is always tough but uh, know your limits, right? Understand what your abilities are. Um, if if you're not creating a ragged hole in the center of a BA at 10 yards, um, then you know again where where we're asking you know questions about point of aim, point of impact shifts. You should be shooting at a distance where you can repeat consistently your hits. Because we don't want to be subject to like shooter error, right? That's just a reality. Yeah. It's okay. It but, is. you know, we have to be honest with ourselves about our abilities. Um, but ultimately, like the preference on that co-witness um, can really armor you up for a lot of good options. But it is ultimately dependent on, like you said, whatever you're the most effective with. And if you're most effective with, like an extreme low co-witness, like as you mentioned, so your so your wife preference of sites, right? So we we have a we have a site product from Chris Costa, and you can see the rear of this site is a bar. Yeah, it's just a bar of tritium, right? And so is his his site um, his site here as just a bar of tritium. It's a bar and a dot. When I first came on board, I was like, dot dash. <laughs> yeah. And CJ was like, oh, I've never heard him refer to it like that. But, you know, kind of thinking about um, Morse code, I guess, is right where my brain went. But on Costa's sites, you know, I mean, here's Chris Costa, an accomplished shooter, um, and arguably one of the top instructors in the country um, for a number of different platforms. And he's showing up here without that three dot system. Um, and you know, with your bar that you see in the back, um, that doesn't have a dome on it because it is not a round. Okay. So I just want to be abundantly clear on that. Um, but it is a bar. And so his goal with that is to better understand the relationship between the rear sight and the front sight to force the front sight focus under stress and low light so that there is no way that you can mistake and misalign your sights by having three identical dots, right? Um, and so for his part, these blades are designed to uh, act as a iron sight system. Um, but uh, he also um, has a preference for milled guns, right? So, I mean, some of us were running optics for quite a while now, and the only alternative was to get our guns milled. So we have um, his guns that have a very deep set optic in the slide and his blade height 
can actually uh, co-witness on a milled gun, right? So we have that as an option. We talk about it. You can potentially see a co-witness with an optic on, uh, this is a Glock 48 slide, and this is a hollow sun K line. Um, I have some ability to co-witness my sight, just not a lot. And it's really hard to tell, but you can see as soon as my yeah, dots there, right. right, I can make my hits. I've got enough sight there, um, but I wanted to run these because, well, you know, I work for the company. I want to know the site product and, um, and it's, it's a very interesting concept, but I, I would say, you know, kind of tracking back to, Hey, what works for your wife may not work for you. And neither of you are wrong as long as you're effective. Exactly. And, and that's a really important to understand. Uh, one of the things uh, I've said, especially with new gun owners, you know, we talk about, you know, what works for you, work, what doesn't work for me, is you can also say, you know, I want this gun, right? I think this is the coolest gun in the world and all that stuff. I always like to say, the gun picks you, you don't pick the gun. All right. I can pick yeah. the gun up. It doesn't fit right in my hand and all that stuff. Same thing goes with sights. I mean, my sight picture is completely different than yours or my wife's or anybody else's. So whatever sight picture works for you, like, I, you know, I I remember looking at that Costa site going, I don't get it, right? I just, I just yeah. don't get this site. But then the more and more I looked at it, that picture I had up at, at the nighttime, I can now see, actually, it kind of makes almost like a pyramid. Yeah. And now I can, and I'm sitting there going, I now I know how to shoot that sight. It didn't make sense to me before, but now I I know that. Yeah. Um, would I probably run that? Probably not. It just it, it it's just not how my brain would think. Mm -hmm. But I would never fault somebody else for doing that because yeah. it works for them. It um, does. Yeah. So a nice way to reinforce this is you have uh, an incredibly accomplished shooter, right? So you have someone who has uh, in worked in a number of different environments, um, trained for decades, uh, is accomplished at instructing, um, clearly successful at what he does. And he's still not necessarily in love with the three dots, right? And alternatively, we have another site product in there that Accurate. And for people who are probably familiar with like, the, the, the Heine, the straight eight, it's a similar kind of development there. Paul Markle uh, and his company, Student of the Gun, has um, that same kind of dot over dot. And in his development, he's got a site there that has a rear site that's about like 50% of the brightness of the front site. And his interest there is to, again, just dissuade anybody from getting confused by the front sight. So it's abundantly clear what my, like which of the sight elements you are expected to focus on. The rear sight will never have any other ring besides that black ring. So in the daytime, you know, depending on the shooter's choice, if you pick up an orange or, an, or a yellow ring, um, it's, it's clear what your front sight element is. And so there you can see the serrations coming into play. Um, and you know, for that, for that part, we still have another, uh, you know, someone who has been behind the gun for quite a while, you know, hundreds of thousands of rounds yet again, um, making a choice that moves away from the three dot system. 
So, you know, it's not to say the three dot system is bad, um, but just to say that, you know, it does not matter whether or not, you know, you shoot 50 rounds a year or you shoot 50,000 rounds a year. If what you respond to, um, it makes you successful, then you put that on your gun, you know, yeah. you don't have to fight it. It's funny because uh, anybody that's a content creator that has a full 30 challenge knows the Markle name. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. We we know the Markle name and student of the gun just because, well, they own full 30. Sure. Um, so it's funny that, you know, when I first saw that site and I'm like, oh, I, I, I know where that came from. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it's really cool that you guys have so many different options because let's, you know, like we talked about before, three dot just might not work for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to have all these choices. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about installation because a lot of my audience are DIYers. Sure. And there are do's and don'ts with installing night sights. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so don't you... Are yeah. Pushers. Yeah. No, 100%. <laughs> Listen, um, many years ago, many moons ago, I worked for a different company and uh, there was a Bianchi cup stage where, you know, they were um, they were going to like remove the sites, if I remember what it was. So they were going to have everybody like point shoot or so something like funky. I can't remember what it wow. was. And it was like it was chaotic because they they had Glock pushers and it was not a company that made Glocks and it was absolute chaos. And they were like, we don't, we can't get the sights off the guns. And um, it was, they were 1911. So it was a very, you know, it's a complex gun and there's complex things that go into play with removing those rear sights. Um, for what you guys have on most of your duty grade guns, which are generally what we have in play these days, duty grade meaning like Glocks, um, MPs, SIGs, um, Berettas, like all of the kind of more conventionally found in the in the in the shop types of firearms, and certainly for everything that we offer, um, the expectation is you you can do whatever you'd like to remove your previous sites. Um, you know, for these like for these plastic sites, I mean, you can pretty much you can push them right off. I mean, that's, you know, you I've, I've actually done that. You can put enough I mean, force on can, those things. You can push them. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Yes. Um, so for removing your sites, you know, you're going to follow whatever your manufacturer recommends. Um, you know, you need to investigate and make sure that you don't mar or affect your, um, uh, if it's a dovetail, the dovetail, uh, whatever surface that you're going to be putting your sites back on. Um, so once you've done that, um, you know, we expect that you clean that surface as well. I mean, it's a good thing to do whenever you're mating another piece of metal, um, to metal, uh, is to kind of remove any grit grime previous, uh, uh lubrication rust. that may have cooled. What's that? Dust. Yeah. Ru dust. Ru skin, dust. You know, all rust. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you want to remove that stuff and get that clear of that site channel. So, or that, uh, that dovetail. Um, and you know, often too, on the inside of Glocks on, on this side, on that front site, all right. So on our Gen 5s, they have, you know, a little fancy tool uh, for our slimline guns. Um, but if for everybody else, you know, sometimes there is a good amount of junk, material, carbon, lead, all that sort of stuff 
uh, can accumulate there. So it, it is important to clean this stuff. Um, I know it's kind of an extra step if you're eager to get your sights on. Sometimes people skip, um, but please do that. Um, and then once you have all of that surface completely cleaned, just as you said before, um, you know, skip the wheeler for our, our, uh, our standard height sights um, for sure. Because when we're dealing with that enormous amount of tritium that I was talking about before, and, uh, and then on top of it, um, we have that file. And then on top of that, we have our polymer ring. There isn't a tremendous amount of space between the site body and the vial. Now, it's not to say that they're not durable and they're not going to take a beating. It's not that. It's where the face of the pusher blade will impact. So, and I don't mean hit, but I mean once it makes contact with the side of the sight blade, because this is a different angle often than the, um, the housing of uh, the sight pusher, right? It can hit it at a bevel that puts all of that pressure into a neat, tiny little surface here. And now it's directing all of that lateral pressure directly against one side of the sight flat. So if I was to basically like push with this tiny little knife blade as hard as I could, right? I'm probably gonna see the knife tip do something, right? But if I have like the entire force of a car behind this pressure, then something is going to give. And often um, with uh, a site that's only in about 30% of the dovetail, if you're doing all of the rest of that force by using the pusher that can collapse the vial, it won't do it every single time, but because it can, and you just paid money for this, and you just cleaned the surface, and <laughs> you're not at the range, and you're doing all the boring armor stuff, if you feel it's boring, I, I love stuff but um you know what i mean but if you set your whole day up to get these sites on that whole day but morning right and then the site collapses that's a drag right um yeah. so so do the due diligence and and do um first fit that site body onto the dovetail whether it's the front site or the rear site or both and see if it fits uh up to about like 40 to 50 percent on ours we are um we used to have site bodies that were just fitting right onto um, our dovetail via removing some material so you would stone this site body down and fit it into the dovetail uh, if it only went into about 30 percent of the dovetail you would need to stone it i don't think i have a stone here on my table here right now but you'd take material off of that dovetail Perfect, thank you, excellent. Um, so you take that gray stone that you see in the center and you'd run that dovetail over top of that um, so that it would fit to about 50% of the dovetail. So once it's seated about 50% into the dovetail, now we can begin using a non-marring uh, uh, punch to kind of tamp that guy in, right? So you wanna use a metal that's softer than that. Um, some of our more experienced gunsmiths or tool fans might have, um, there's a, like a polymer, um, punch. Yeah. yeah. Delrin punch. Exactly. Yep. So, um, 
we use those in my household um, just so that we don't mark up the sites. I sometimes take photography of our sites, so I really want them to be a nice clean install. Um, and you do have to tap our sites in for that reason. Um, and, you know, the expectation is nowadays um, we have upgraded to set screws and we're dealing with like, you can see the, my, my skin through the back here. Right, so we're dealing with set screws on more and more of our sites. Um, and for that reason of the fitting process being a little laborious for people, um, we've upgraded to this. So we've taken some material away from the dovetails that we used to have. So these are a little bit less um, full. So it's almost like a Novak site at that yeah. point. Yeah, 100%. Um, and for, for again, the goal here is to make it a little bit easier to install these. Um, the process of stoning, um, you know, more and more these days uh, from the after the massive aftermarket um, for Glocks, where you can just kind of bolt on everything and anything. Yeah. Um, the expectation is like, I want to, I want it to go like click, and then I'm done. And there's not a lot of fitting of parts in the, anymore these days. So we're trying to be sensitive to that um, and offer. Yeah, you're trying to get out of the old 1911 mindset where yeah. everything needs to be fitted mm -hmm. into, yeah. into a consumer market yeah. where you know, just about everybody can do this and not have to you know go to a gunsmith. Right. Not that going to a gunsmith is a bad thing. No, yeah, but, you prefer it. But let's face it, sites are not, it's not rocket science with sites. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there have been some people who have taken that yeah, challenge. <laughs> yeah, there, there are. There are. And so and let me go ahead and give you guys the wildest story. But, um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the expectation is that, you know, with now what we have current, um, that there's a set screw in there, you're going to be feeding that site in. It should get to about 50% of the dovetail. If it's still, um, if it's still sitting proud, you know, stone it down a little bit more. But all of this to say, you know, to say, as we, as I mentioned before about um, the velocity with which that slide cycles, um, it's important that there's a, a good fit, right? So we were attempting to give you more materials so that that could be a precision fit. Um, so without that being the case, I mean, ultimately what we dealt with was, you know, a lot of loose elements here. But yeah, so ultimately for installation, um, the expectation truly is just about making sure um, you do some due diligence on, um, hey, you know, if it's only sitting in about 20 to 30% uh, through the center of the dovetail, then you've got to stone some material down. If it's going into about 50%, sweet, go ahead and tap that in. Um, once you reach that point where you've tapped it in, uh, we do uh, put a little bit of blue thread locker right onto that set screw and set you up for success. Um, and you can tighten that down to finger tight there, the torque on that does not need to be, it's not the sole reason that keeps yeah. the site on there. And it's very easy to strip that screw. If you're, if you're like trying to crank it down, like it's, I don't know, like it's a, like a 70 pound torque on your rifle. You know, we're not dealing with. Yeah, we're, not, we're not changing the barrel. Yeah, we're not changing yeah, yeah. the barrel. So, yeah. ooh, it's a little guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, ultimately uh, the, the it, hand tight is fine. Again, that thread locker is on there. 
um, with the expectation that that's, that does help help uh, to keep that tight and on there. But again, check your stuff, check your kit, stuff moves. If it happens, you know, reach out to us. We're always around at info at nightfishing.com. You can always reach out to our customer service team and they'll, they'll talk you through what we need to do. If we have to help you out with anything, we're always game. And, and for a certain demographic out of here, you're not using a 32 ounce. Yes. Um, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that. Um, yeah, that's like not that. ideal. Uh, <laughs> hmm. So um, if you need a 32 ounce hammer to put that site in, you have a little bit of work to do on that site. Yeah. yeah. So enthusiasm level, thumbs way up. Execution, yeah. thumbs down. So find the right tools. Now, this may be a great excuse for you to go to either our site and grab some. I won't, you know, I won't throw any shade or, or be sad about it. You can always go to Brownells. They have even more tools, yeah. right? Um, I am literally doing this podcast sitting on my enormous tool chest right now. Um, so, uh, you know, always a fan, right? So it's an excuse to go get some more tools, right? Um, oh yeah. See, I'm, I'm all about the tools. Yes. And you've got your problem. <laughs> you. So exactly. So, you know, the thing that kind of know and understand is it is important to have the right tools for the job. Right. And I don't think I have to twist anybody's arm on that concept, but, um, you know, this is not the time to take the roofing hammer, to yes. your gun. So yes. please do your due diligence and get the correct tools for the job. And it doesn't matter. Now, now, one of the greatest things is actually on your website, you have a lot of um, you have a lot of knowledge out there and even videos of how to do the install. So mm -hmm. if somebody's never done this before, it's there. I mean, you, you uh, on your website, you even have a video and it's also on, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have your YouTube channel as well. But there's a, a video, I think it's about 20 minutes long, uh, with Brownells. Mm -hmm. with, yeah. And and they went through stoning that um, that site and put it again. So yes. in 20 minutes, you can sit there and watch a video and you have enough knowledge to, to install these and do it right without, you know, really banging on yeah. the site. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, like kind of we mentioned before, the the, the expectation is, oh, it's simple. I don't need a manual for this. Simple, super easy. Yeah. Like I just put it in the dovetail, like no big deal. You know, just kind of like yeah. smack that guy and I'll go and it, there are some nuanced aspects to it. Like another thing that we yeah. kind of, um, we try and reinforce is we do have that really big element of, of site and on a Glock, um, the OEM uh, site, front site screw, uh, we always tell people, please don't don't reuse that screw. You've got to use ours because ours is actually at a different height than the OEM. The OEM has like two more threads in there, and that has the potential for it to reach up and start to press against the vial. So it seems like it's a simple concept, but whether you've got an extra 20 minutes or an extra like 10 to just read our install guide, we kind of revised it and made it very friendly, um, super easy to go through and get the high points from, including offering all of our install tips right before you even have to get into the manual. Because 
we are not manual people. <laughs> we like to do it, you know, how we think we are going to um, envision the process to go. Um, but we get it, you know, um, we're all the same people, you know, we're always going to kind of chuck that manual and then begrudgingly go back to it a couple hours later yeah. when we're stumped. Um, but do us a favor and review this stuff for our sites. And that's really there for you guys to have a one and done install. And so that you're not frustrated and you're not left with, you know, oh man, now I don't have any sites on my gun. And, and that's obviously problematic. And how am I going to get this fixed under uh, warranty? So, <laughs> yeah, excellent. And, and listen, we do, we have our whole warranty process. We have a, um, you know, a form that you can fill out. And yes, there's a lot of questions on there. But again, we're trying to get all that vital information so that we can best help our people that, you know, have parted with their money um, and given their money to us, their hard-earned money, which today it's it's tough out there. We know that we try and provide a product at a reasonable price point. Um, but we also, you know, we need a lot of information to better help people. Um, and so, you know, we try and make that process as painless as possible. All right. Now, a couple of other things here. You don't just make sites for pistols. Yes. We do have some other products. We've been talking for an hour and a half about pistols. Yeah. But that's that's just that's just the start. Yeah. But wait, I don't I don't have more. any I don't have any rifles with, that are they're all, you know, because they're gonna be impossible. Um but uh yeah, we have a couple of things for the AR pattern guns out there and um uh, probably most um, I'll start with the most neutral, right? So we have some front sight posts for uh, like the A2 style front sights um, and they're thinner. Uh, we have a like a 0.2 or a Gen 2 version of our front sight blade um, that's a little bit thinner than the original um, just to kind of get less material out of the way. And uh, oh, of course my dog's back. Now I got to let him in. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> All right, so um, with that front sight two posts, we have a couple of different colorways as well. And it goes right into any of your standard pattern front sights. So there's no nuance there. It's exactly like you would using your front post, excuse me, your front post tool. There's not much difference going on there. It's a simple install with this. Um, and we offer it in a bunch of different front ring colors, but you know, the biggest feedback that we got, everybody loved them. They were just a little bit too wide. So we made them a little bit thinner. 
and you can see we've packed <laughs> we've packed that vial in there <laughs> yeah, drawing it's, down it's that material as close as we could it was about uh, as best as we could do it and we do have that um so if you scroll down there's the the magpole the ambus pro front sight as well and this is the uh kind of the equivalent of our version of their match blade width okay um they have two different blade widths this is the match so again, you know, we are precision tritium. It kind of made sense for us to have the narrowest blade height based off the feedback that we had from our other front sight posts. Um, and there's the dome. Yeah. There. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It legitimately does exactly what that that whole kind of conversation we had before does. I mean, it is fascinating, um, and it's so simple. And that's why it's patented, <laughs> um, you know, because we were like, oh, well, this we've we've done this. We've done all the hard work on this and we've made this work at such a small scale. Now, the two other elements or products that we have in our AR products um, are bits of lightning rods in some ways. And I say this because when we initially released the nice switch, which was just the single side safety selector switch, there was a tremendous response from people on the internet concerned about giving their position away. So um, I appreciate that people are looking to ensure that they are as stealthy as possible um, and not giving their position away. However, if um, we're uh, talking about a vial that size of tritium i'm i'm not sure in most conventional stateside engagements that is going to be the determining factor so that's well, plus you have to be completely broadside to the rifle yeah so there's so <laughs> many things that have to go perfectly so i mean i'm going to go ahead and say that there might be some other things that might give your position away um you know there uh we're recently um, there's a location that uh, my husband and I work out of that um, is primarily a uh, military and law enforcement, but primarily, primarily uh, law enforcement training center. And they were doing some force on force work and their op four kept uh, handing their, their rear ends to themselves. And um, when they did some debriefs in between, they said, Hey, um, how come you kept finding us in the dark? And the op four were like, we could hear you breathing and you were dragging yeah. your kit along the wall. Because yeah. they were newer at it and they weren't quite sure what to do with themselves and they were going through their first evolutions. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that could go wrong. <laughs> so um, I would actually prefer to have this there versus the concern about the position giving away. Because like we talked about before, the safe, um, this is a great way to see uh, which um, way that safety selector is oriented um, in the dark. If that rifle is just standing by somewhere with that tritium element, you can clearly see if it's on fire, if it's on safe, boom, there we go, right? Um, with the ambi version, uh, it's just a simple upgrade, right? We're talking about ambidextrous controls. It's uh, essentially the way the entire industry is going for, for good reason. Um, uh, I am actually left eye dominant, so I'm I'm goofy. I'm wrong-handed when it comes to my long guns, but um, as far as the rest of the controls on the gun, I'm usually fine. 
but the safety selector being ambi is an absolute critical. So that I yeah. think benefits both our right-handed uh, and left-handed uh, shooters. So, and for an instructor, I'll tell you, it's it's a it's a great way for people who are new to working low light carbine or low light uh, rifle in any kind of gas gun environment. Um, this is a great way for you to ensure that your students are in fact uh, wandering around the range. Yeah, on on safety <laughs> because we're talking about slung rifles here, and that's one of the reasons why that safety selector is there. It's it's a heavy rifle with a lighter trigger compared to the weight of the gun. So that yeah. safety selector is is you know you should be hearing it click the moment that muzzle comes offline, um, and this is a great visual way to confirm that. So now at shot. We called it the clubhouse. I don't know where you guys, what you guys called it. We called it the dark room. Uh, the, the dark room. Right. Um, that was, had to been one of the coolest things that was at shot because, I mean, we can only see so much of, well, tritium sites in the wonderful lighting in your booth. <laughs> right. right? It's, like, it's all nice and bright so we can see the products. <laughs> yeah. So, but around the corner, you had, the uh, yeah, we were calling it the clubhouse. You guys called it the dark room. It was well, basically a, a room all painted black with some targets, mm -hmm. and you had the light bar for you know the red and blue lights flashing with a bunch of blue guns with your sights in there. Who came up with that? I mean, that that was one of the greatest things for marketing uh. um, that I've seen because again, everybody else is that was no one else had that, and yeah. it's not like you were the only night sights in the entire show of shot. <laughs> I mean, they had other guns with sights on them and all that. So I, I, I would say that everything we do is a team effort. Um, so, you know, I mean, the goal uh, of trying to be able to show off what we do, um, especially in the show environment, uh, was definitely a discussion between a few people um, amongst the night fishing team. Um, but it, I, I don't think, anyone would be comfortable with claiming it um, individually. Um, but it, it was absolutely a team effort to make sure that we developed a trade show environment that reflected our product. And the problem was simple. It was, we just need to control the light. Um, right. So, you know, past that, it was also imperative that we created an environment that still allowed us to have whoever is there in the booth engage. Um, so, you know, it's not just about going into a big black environment, like big black, oops, a black room. It's about, you know, providing some sort of, uh, like you said, target or, um, threat, anything to provide some element of, oh yeah, I need to see that. Yeah. Um, because we knew, uh, we're, we're not a huge team. We couldn't have a body there hundred percent of the time moving around, um, and then, you know, with blue guns in the dark, it's just, it's a little squirrely to have people aiming guns at people. That's not necessarily yeah. his most comfortable zone. So no one wanted to yeah. be, um, op for on that, uh, all day, every day for every day of the show. So, you know, we, we threw up, um, some targets on the wall and, you know, from my experience, it was about developing a good, better, best, right. Um, and, also a worst so that you know it was important to understand how little data we get if we don't have white light if we don't have the luxury of white light to be able to identify what we are looking to point that muzzle at so 
beyond just having black walls, it was important to bring some of that element in. And then also, um, as you mentioned, having um, the blues and reds going for our law enforcement friends who are dealing with another problem, right? It's another lighting issue. It's not so fixed. It's no just, light and, yeah, yeah, it's changing. And they're they're really their colors depending on the agency and like what kind of product that they have um they're they're sometimes like brighter blues and sometimes they're not and blue is tough for our eye to render it's actually one of the hardest colors because it gets close to uv and um a kind of cooler red kind of falls into the same category so it really does strain the eye and it was important for us to i mean as simply as possible but also um, effectively as possible to get some of those elements to drive the point home that night sights matter and they make a pretty big difference when you get into an environment that doesn't have this beautiful bright lighting and um, it's you know black lights are useful when we're standing out there and we're trying to have a conversation um, but we know it's not our, our greatest method to show off the product it's good sure um, but that's yeah. where it shines. Forgive the pun. <laughs> Sit in the dark. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you when we when we went into that room because it was me and two of my uh, content creator buddies. Um, we we all shared a, a verbo and all that stuff and went to shot show together and and uh, you know the three of us are in there and of course we're content creators so we want pictures. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're all sitting there like okay, mm -hmm. we're trying to yeah. time. The yeah. light flashes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but, you know, totally geeking out of the content creator. We're all in there, you know, trying to do that. While we're like, hey, this is just the coolest thing in the world because mm -hmm. no one, there was, it was a completely, um, I don't want to say foreign concept, but it was a completely new concept for shot for someone just to go, hey, we have a dark room over here um, to show off night sights. Yeah. And it's like, how does nobody else come up with that idea? Right. I mean, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak for her, but I will tell you, like, sometimes I'm just like, are you not going to the range? Like how out yeah. of touch are you? Like, come on, this well, is day to day. You should be seeing this. And that's the thing is, uh, you know, talking about going to range is, you know, a lot of places only do daytime shoots mm -hmm. until you yeah. do a nighttime shoot. You, I mean, you really don't understand how you're, gun works until you yeah. take light away yeah. um and, and because you, now you've you've lost one of your senses yeah and it's or, a very... or, or one of your senses is greatly diminished yeah and it's it's um, one that we tend to not do well emotionally with when we lose yes. there's generally a level of panic scene um with people who have never worked in low light with firearms when we shut the lights off and it goes completely dark. Right. And, and like yeah. you can physically see people kind of go, <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's just a little, I mean, even if they're not going to admit it, yeah. you can see them. Pu this is you a have, little, you have a little pucker factor going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, when lights go is generally not a source of comfort for people. And there's, there's not, um, you know, you're not hearing uh, your your if you have one of your in-house AIs hit you know um, 
the the right music it's like yeah. the sequence for the burglar you know um yeah. fortunate son is just started up you know most people are not like lights are down get the knots on let's go you know but <laughs> but generally people are on the opposite side of that if you're not a psychopath and um you know you're dealing with a little bit of uh, uh what people do is they get really task focused on trying to see um yeah. And that can often degrade a lot of our other decisions. So, so also at Shot Show, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of mm -hmm. go into a sister company of yours. Sure. Rhino Glow. Yeah, Glow Rhino. Because yep. uh, Glow Rhino, because that's the whole thing is we're sitting there going, okay, night vision. We're gonna see night sights and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But then we start looking around. It's like, yeah. There's tritium on that knife over there. And, and <laughs> yeah, the knife that I've been using to point with. <laughs> I, 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 I picked up I picked up on that. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean I mean that's just the really thing nice. is you know knives and and mm -hmm. then what's really cool is on here when you had your collab, mm -hmm. I mean you really can put tritium yeah. on anything. Yeah. We've worked with a lot of really cool partners, um, you know, for uh, the Hogue knife, that was just an absolute smash success. There were a lot of people who were eager to get this knife. It was a blade show limited. Um, I think they brought a couple back to that recent blade show that just happened, but those are night sights. I mean, those are literally our yeah. rings. <laughs> those are front sights. Um, you know? <laughs> Um, but they looked so cool on that knife and it was just such a big hit and it was just as spectacular in person. Um, but I we mean, have been very fortunate to work with some cool companies, not just Hogue, Keybar, Protec. Um, let's see who else is in the mech. Prome yeah, Prometheus, Prometheus. Light, Aerology recently. Um, so, you know, we've been very lucky to continue to work with. Um, some cool people. We have more cool collaborations in the works. We're very excited about every single one of them. Um, some of them are going to show up here and some of them are going to show up on the people that we're collaborating with. Um, but they are all really, really exciting ways to uh, bring uh, tritium to everyday life. I mean, it is not easy. Um, a lot of people think, you know, we just had April Fool's Day and we put out the uh, April Fool's Day post where we were like, oh, April Fool's, you know, after yeah. uh, showing our picture of the um, the Amazon Fire TV remote with the tritium insert. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you should do this for real. And we're like, <laughs> we would love to, except tritium is regulated. It's regulated by um, the Nuclear uh, Commission. I mean, it's the NRC that basically gets to tell us, right? And we have had that relationship based off of our longstanding process with Kamenga. Um, so it, it is not, unfortunately, all just up to us. Uh, otherwise, we would tritium all the things. Um, but, you know, so everything would glow. Everything would glow. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> listen, uh, I'll, I'll do this. So this is one of our new guys. This is a bronze fob. And I believe this is my orange one that I have here. Let's see if I can grab, grab my kill switch here. To, uh, and again, there's a little bit of light here. I can't. Oh, it's the blue one. Fun. All right. So I'll bring out. There's the green, right? And if yep. I pull it back in the dark, we get to see a little bit more. Um, and then orange, right? Orange does even better in the dark. But 
ultimately what we're dealing with with all of those fobs is you know whatever you attach it to these are the limited series precious metals we have one more that's coming up uh in brass which is really cool so if you're a big brass fan um it, that's going to be the fob for you but um and we have a lot more planned through this year some limited uh versions of our fob but i will tell you like the ember um which is the the super budget-minded one it's a 1999 which is an insane price point for trading it is yeah. um we worked really hard to make that work um but i put up i put the ember and these fobs on every single one of my backs and that's why we we see them you see them on the night fishing site because you put them on a daca you put them on a med pouch you put yeah. them on your range bag anything that you need to access if you are in a low light um you know, out out in uh, the winters, if you're out and you're on an outdoor range, what time does the sun go down? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, it's, like here in the winter time at four at four o'clock, we're 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 dark. Right. Exactly. So I mean, I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be like midnight for you to have the reality of going to um, what we're dealing with uh, for no light or low light conditions. So, so when people are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm asleep at, you know, ten, eight o'clock, 10 o'clock. It's like, that's cool, but we have seasons. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's kind of, it's kind of funny because the, the reason why I like those things is, you know, I grew up on the East coast when I lived in Montana uh, back in 2000, it was, it, it was a little eye opening because, you know, I'm mm -hmm. used to winters. We're used to nor'easters and stuff like that rolling in. I'm not used to where it snows in October and in June, that snow is still there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then you start learning about, you know, we're driving around and, you know, we got studded snow tires and we're like, yeah, this is no big deal. But then you start realizing that you're on some roads where you might not be seen for a couple of days. Yeah. If you, if you spin out and you're off the road and that's when you start learning about your winter kits for your car mm -hmm. and stuff like that, yeah. it's dark that's where those little fobs would be awesome because yeah. you know if for some reason you have an electrical failure of your car whatever you can't see but mm -hmm. you have your winter kit which has a flashlight and all that stuff in it mm -hmm. at least if you can get your you know pop your trunk um get in there you can at least start seeing what's there because yeah trust me it is dark out here it is dark <laughs> and, and you know like the, so you know this is this is the thing that a lot of people will tell me they're like well i have a flashlight like cool you have to turn the flashlight on yes yep. or is it on 100 percent of the time no i have to turn it on okay so arguably you need to be able to reach the flashlight yes okay, okay. well where is the flashlight if it's not stowed in something that is its own compartment and it's in a pack and you need to access that flashlight fast and it's dark it it where serves you no purpose <laughs> because you yeah it's still all the same. It's all the same in a pack. If it's not like cordoned off by some like elastic or in some hook and loop or stowed in some way where it's managed and it's just in a bag, um, a lot of people have started to basically grab the fob and drop it on a lanyard that's attached to their flashlight so that they can locate the thing that will actually reveal the area. Um, and it's not uh, it's not like we're dealing with something that is sensitive to temperature. Um, we're not, no. you know, our fobs are not sensitive to water. 
They're waterproof. They are not going to need to be charged, just like we talked about before. They've got at least 12 years going for them before they will get dim, not completely go black. And um, we're not talking about needing to charge it up. No UV rays are needed. None of that. So, you know, if you're going into some austere environments, these things are real like kick butt elements to attach to things yeah. like tent, zippers, packs, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it, that's just, you know, when I started looking around the booth, and I started seeing that stuff. I'm just like, I, I never even thought about some of those yeah. things, you know, because, you know, we're thinking um, nighttime operations, people are thinking glow sticks, that type mm -hmm. of stuff. Well, it's still, sure, you got to find the glow stick, you got to. Yeah. You, know, you got to crack it. You got to shake it and all that stuff. And yes, it'll give me more light than one of those little fobs, but I got to get to that glow stick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and yeah, the pack that or the, or the pouch that has that, right? So, and that's, yeah. there are a lot of applications that we are um, looking into that are really exciting that, um, that play into that. Um, there are some plans for that eventually, but, you know, for, for everyday carry, for the average person, um, which there are so many people out there that are going to live in that space um, more than, you know, someone who is in some sort of small, you know, group unit environment. Um, for all of the rest of us, we still need to be able to access and see things on a regular basis. And right. just like you said, you know, I mean, if, if you get into any kind of car or vehicle situation where you are stranded for a little bit, um, you are in the dark, you don't have a way to use the dome light, you know, whatever you got going on. Um, immediate access to things, especially to MedKit, is absolutely critical. Yep. And, you know, if you can part with 20 bucks, at least for the Seriously. fob, yeah. the ember fob. Seriously, yeah. You know, uh, we're not talking about a huge sum of money. Our glow fobs are a little bit more expensive, but they are also in a steel housing or a titanium housing, right? So we're, we're talking about difference of durability. But ultimately, if you can grab something like this um, and you're curious about it, start with the Ember. See see how it plays into your life. And then you might find, oh man, I got to get a couple more of these. Yeah, I, I like your, the idea of on a med kit because like for me, when I go to the range, I have um, uh, a trauma, a, a small... Mm -hmm trauma kit that comes with me you should and i also have in my car i have a I have a bigger kit mm -hmm. um that, that sits in my car all the time and those are things i mean we're talking about literally life or death situations yeah. where someone exactly. could bleed out you want to be able to get to that stuff as yeah. fast as possible um, and I'm you know now i'm thinking about my mind's racing about my kits now you know mm -hmm. um you know they're I have buckles and stuff you got to get through, but yeah, getting to that kit, if you have a zipper, exactly, put it right on that zipper and you yeah. know where that zipper is immediately. Yeah. And it's, it is wild too, because as soon as you get into um, the dark, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like, oh my God, it's right there. I don't have to like fiddle around. So like, if you, if you have like a pickup and you have one of those hard Torno covers on the top, like if things slide around and something goes to the back of the bed, you know exactly where it's at. You know what I mean? It's just the, and that could be in bright daylight, those Tornos. And like, if you have bed, like a spray bed cover that can get really dark in there. Um, so, you know, it's just a, it's a fascinating change that happens when you see that and you go, oh, wow, it's, it's right there. That's that easy. Yeah. Well, it's like, I was thinking about the flashlight in the car, you know, my flashlight is actually in the pouch in the, in the passenger seat. 
mm -hmm. right, in the back pouch. Sure. And you think about it as um, hit a big bump or whatever, it might slide out. Yeah. Where's it going to go? It's going to go right under the seat, right? It's never going to stay in yeah. the open. A good example um, of what unsecured stuff looks like. If you see that, have you seen that cop that that Florida yep. cop who head yep. on? Yeah, I mean, all of the stuff oh, in that vehicle. It's, I think she got most of the damage from that. Yeah, and and it's funny because you you think about that is it that in an accident, anything that's not secured becomes a projectile. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so definitely secure your stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> well, I'm always like looking for people to do that. <laughs> Believe me, when we're driving around with steel, we are playing nice. You know, if we're driving yes. around with steel plates, it's like you're going to see us in a right-hand most lane, you know, super easy, like just trying to make our way back to the house because we know what could happen if we get hit hard with that stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and... Let's face it, cars aren't made the way they used to be. No, absolutely not. No, you're pretty much guaranteed a four thousand dollar with just one little scratch on the bumper. Oh. Um, <laughs> element well, it's there. like I remember we bought um, the the car I have now. I have a uh, 2010 uh, Ford Fusion, and uh, <laughs> I didn't even get the license plates. Uh, I had just gotten the license plates on the car that day, and I was going to another town to go do some work, mm -hmm. and I got rear-ended. Oh. Right. And uh, the person I was going to pick up, he he had to drive. We had to transfer gear and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking at this car, you know, I, I get I get on the road and I come back and I'm talking to my wife and she's just like, all right, well, yeah, we're, we're like, yeah, it's got to be like two thousand dollars worth of damage. And um, <laughs> we, we were talking to our insurance agent and they're like, Oh yeah, that's gonna be like fifteen grand to fix your car. Yeah. Like, how's that fifteen grand? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. yeah, there's some damage to it, but how's that fifteen grand? And with these cars, they're just basically designed to crumple. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's gone. Like all that stuff is just yeah. out the window. So yeah, I mean, it is. Know, I, I I learned how to drive in a 1983 old Delta 88 <laughs> big tank. Yeah. You know, get some room yeah. if you made some, yeah, some on that one. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you get to these new cars; they, they are. And then uh, you know, I and I was I was sitting at a red light, and I got hit from behind. And I, I I think about it now. There was a lot of stuff that was not in place in the car. Yeah, and I and that wasn't even a high speed one, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, I got hit with some force. Uh, basically, there was a, a right hand lane. There was a truck coming coming by. Mm -hmm. And someone cut across and, mm -hmm. and it spun that truck into me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, if you think about that in the, in the dark, you know, my flashlight was not in the pocket. Now I think about it. Yeah. In the dark, it would have been great to have that little yeah. vial on there to find yeah. the flashlight. Because things are not always where they are supposed to be. And, and if we're very visual people and we benefit from knowing where stuff is by using our eyes, they're in front of our head for a reason, um, then why not play into that being a primary source of feedback from the world, right? But, yeah. And so you were talking about, you know, being up on a mountain and power outages. Mm -hmm. You know, in our house here, um, not that we have that many power outages, but uh, you know, we moved here from the East Coast. So we're rolling in with a generator. We're used to hurricane weather, right? Sure. Um, but there's there's these things called earthquakes here. 
that, you know, my wife and I were sitting there thinking, okay, it's always nice to have light. So we got this little, you know, cheap flashlights. Basically every drawer in the house has a flashlight on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that way, if we could find a drawer, you can find a flashlight. Right. The problem is, is now you got to find them. You still got to find a drawer. You can use those little, um, those little vials just for that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we had learned going through um, our concealed carry class was, you know, we were going through home development. This is not one of these four hours and you get a, uh, you get your, your certificate. This one was an actual one where the guy really cared. Good. And he, he thought about, you know, being a cop and responding is you keep a key like in your bedroom to your front door, attach a chem light to it. And then when you're calling 911, you're opening up the door or you're opening up a window, you crack that vial, throw that thing out and you tell them, don't break down my door. There's the key. Just find that. Those little, those little things would be great for that too. Again, yeah. I mean, there, there are so that. many good applications. I mean, the lit, we could, we could spend the we next six hours. Have, yeah. the good stuff. Just about as long as talking about guns. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, I think for us is, is been important. It's just, you know, letting people know, Hey, we, we understand that this is not a product that you see um, regularly out in the world. Um, yes. it, it isn't as simple as just, you know, putting it in something and pushing it out um, into the marketplace. It's more complex than that. And that is why you don't see it on more things. Um, it is not dangerous. Uh, people, you know, hear radiation or they'll, they'll hear something along those lines and they're like, oh boy, you know, I'm, I'm going to yep. get sick from it. And it's, that is not the case at all. Um, you could, you get more radiation from taking a flight than you do uh, anything that's emitted from what we have this all beta waves. Um, they can't make it past your skin. Um, but uh, so carrying it on you every day has absolutely no bearing on your health, but I will say, you know, a lot of people kind of fill that gap. They say to themselves, well, if it's so good and it's so vital and it's so earth changing, right? Or world changing for people, why isn't it everywhere? Well, it's a little bit more complex than that because it is a regulated item and it's extremely expensive because it's very rare. Uh, but at that being, you know, kind of the pretext to this, the other half of it is we can, we can, um, we can have, products we can make these spaces for these products and we just ask that you try it out and like i said we we have that ember now as a great way to kind of get oriented and see if it's something that does fit in your life but we do ask people to, to try it out we're, we're pretty sure that as soon as you get one of these on there they become like insidious they become yeah. something you want everywhere um and they go on every pair of keys everything like you said like anything that you need to access um, that you know has something that's important in it um, to make your life a little bit easier, better, safer, uh, healthier, anything along those lines. So um, our, our big thing is, is it's really tough to um, have that experience in, in uh, on the web. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, well, you know, they glow, <laughs> you know, and people are like, no big deal. Um, and we're like, oh, <laughs> that is our constant source of um, IR, you know, it's, it's, it kind of keeps me employed, right? Uh, on the marketing yeah. side, it's our job to continue to try and reveal a potential path to solving that problem. The dark room that we had or the clubhouse, however you want to refer to it, um, was an important element in that because there we could actually have that happen in real time um, where we yeah. can't necessarily have that happen from a website. But, um, but yeah, so for, 
I call it the $20 experiment. Take the $20 experiment, grab a number and see how you feel about it. And if you really like it, you know, we still have more. And now we're releasing all of these cool different, like I said, like we've got orange tritium now and some of these, we've got blue and green, which are pretty standard. These are the bronze finish. And then we also have uh, copper available. Actually, I, I apologize. These are actually the copper. Um, and forthcoming is brass. And then we have some cool new ones that are with different tritium colors that we have coming down the pipe, but I can't get into specifics because <laughs> I didn't offer that. But People will just have to check the website for that. Yeah. Or sign up for your, or sign up for the newsletter, like you so, said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So Glow Rhino, so these things are drops, meaning that they're limited and we email you with the time on when they're going to be released on the website. So as you can see me taking down my guns before my hands are filthy. Um, and so if you are not on our newsletter for Glow Rhino, then you will not be first to know. Um, you will find out because we will talk about it on social, but you will not be first to know. The first people that get to know are on the newsletter or on the email list. That's awesome. Now, we've been talking over two hours, and we only scheduled an hour and a half, so I want to be respectful okay. of your time. Yeah, I think I got, my has got to go out again at some point. So. <laughs> That's why, yeah. I got one more question. Sure. And then a speed round. Okay. Where's the products made? The products are made in Dearborn, Michigan. So our, oh, tritium, right. our tritium is sourced from a Swiss tritium. Um, so it's super high quality stuff. It's not like bottom of the barrel cheapest. It's the opposite. It is the highest quality that we could source. And then it's all made, assembled, put together in Dearborn, Michigan. And we're very proud of that. Awesome. And then now the speed round. All right. Bring it on. <laughs> Rifle or pistol? Pistol. Revolver or semi-auto? Semi-auto. Nine millimeter or 45? Nine millimeter. Optics or irons? Optics. Steel or paper? Steel. I do love me some paper for precision. <laughs> I know, it steel's <laughs> that that's, it's, it's, that's the instant gratification of that steel mm -hmm. ringing. Mm -hmm. Reload ammo or clean your gun? Oh, uh, I mean... I'll say clean my gun. I like getting in there and investigating and checking in. Kydex or leather? Kydex. All right. Last one. I just put a bench in front of you with literally one of every gun that has ever existed. Oh, boy. Uh, all platforms? <laughs> all platforms. Everything. <laughs> all the way from... The, the most latest machine gun to the earliest mm. musket is sitting right in front of you. You have to choose two. What's the gun that you would reach for first? And there's no other, <laughs> there's no other batteries. You choose one of any gun that you would ever want. Oh, um, what's, the, what's, the one, what's the one you would reach for first? Uh, people who know me really know I am obsessed with my 1301 tactical and have been for quite a while i like to say i'm i'm pretty good at running that one um shout out to all my shotgun students uh and then oof, gosh this is tough yeah this is um, tough. that's why this one's the last one because 
You got one more choice to make. I know. I know. <laughs> but I you mean, don't know I what that choice is yet. Legitimately fallen asleep on the couch, like hugging my 1301. Okay. Um, oh, my goodness. And this is just a hat. Like, we're not talking about application. We're just talking no, about this like, is goofy, like right whatever now, I want. You just, have, you just have all these guns. What's the first gun you reach for? Well, I mean, yeah, it's going to be the 1301 Tactical. It's gone. It's covered in Eridus Industries stuff. It's all upgraded. I love it. It's a beast. Um, it's a. Uh, it's one of my absolute favorite guns. Um, gosh, I don't. I don't know. This is tough. The second one is hard because I kind of like. I want to go. You don't know what the... All right, so let's go to the second one then. I'm wavering between like the you know the teens like the trench gun right world war yeah. one shotgun trench gun with the heat shield i mean those things are phenomenal i mean those are just beasts those are fantastic shotguns <laughs> um oh i don't know i can't well, decide well <laughs> let's go to let's get let's go to the second gun okay what what would be your dream gun oh dream Absolute gun. dream gun oh gosh i know um which can be just as hard of a question. <laughs> yeah, this is also hard. So I think my dream gun, honestly, that I don't have that, you know, I don't, I can't like get right now would be a Joe Chambers 1911. Um, I really mm. like the light fighter. It is yeah. such a gorgeous gun. Um, and it's just such a like purposefully built, like everything on that gun was thought about. Um, so I, I would say a Joe Chambers 1911 either a light fighter or one of his, like any one of his more like hardworking optics, um, 1911s. Those are phenomenal guns. I want one. <laughs> that would be, that would be. be good. I, I, I totally yeah, killed yeah. your productivity for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's the end of it. Sorry guys. I won't be doing any more work. We'll let the cousins know. <laughs> but yeah, so, those are tough calls. The first two, I say the, 19, the 1301, but. Okay. So, like, it's tough call, man. Hmm. I'm still going to be thinking about it. I'm going to end up emailing <laughs> you options afterwards. So it's not going to count for the Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this podcast will air on uh, Monday. We're, it's Thursday now. It will, it'll air on Monday. So you have the weekend that I can I can put your answers into the uh, Oh, okay. All right. So you can think options. about it a little bit farther. So we okay. can... We can we, we can let people dig through the description to find out what your actual okay. answers are. Okay. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you and, and uh, Night Vision and, sure. you know, all your pro all the products there? Okay. So, well, um, first of all, our website, nightvision.com, and that's N-I-G-H-T-F-I-S-I-O-N.com. Um, we just have the single S. Uh and so that's our website. We are working on uh, like a little bit of an update uh, update um, that's forthcoming. So you might see it change a little bit. Um, like I said, we're just uh, constantly working to make everything as best um, as we can for, for all of you guys. Um, and uh, through that website, you can also you know scroll all the way down to the bottom. And you can um, see which social media accounts we have. Um, right now we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, so, uh, those are good ways to kind of, you know, see cool pictures of guns that have our sites on there. If you're shopping for sites and you're, you're kind of looking for, I want to see what it looks like on a gun, um, all dressed up. Um, our Instagram is full of really nice gun pictures. Um, 
And, you know, we try and That's our gun porn right there. Yeah, it's our gun porn. Yeah, I wasn't sure how. <laughs> that's what we call it. But I don't want to like. That's, that's like, it. It's gun porn. I've done so well. I have not cursed at all. I'm so <laughs> proud of myself. Um, but the uh, Facebook page, um, you know, again, we're just, we're trying to grow a little bit more discussion on that page as well. Um, that's a, been a, a drive of mine. Um, but ultimately, uh, we're, we're there on those two accounts. We don't do a ton on YouTube. Um, but we do have plans on it this year. Um, we're going to be doing some more uh, videos for installation, um, talking a little bit more about point of aim, point of impact, and how blade height affects that um, because it's a source of confusion. And uh, for our newer shooters, there's not necessarily the comfort level with point of aim, point of impact, and what that means, um, and what a front sight versus a rear sight blade height, and how that changes, and how that changes your hit. So we want to kind of reveal or at least dig into that a little bit more for people. Um, and, uh, finally, the um, uh, the other uh, the other way to reach out to us is to simply hit us up at um, info at nightvision.com um, and that'll reach our customer service agents and they can um, push things into various different corners if you need to reach someone um, and if you need to ask a specific question start there and we'll do our best to make sure that we get you an answer as soon as possible. Awesome. Um, for Glow Rhino, it's the same thing. Uh, it's glowrhino.com. There's no weirdness in that spelling. Uh, <laughs> it's just exactly how it sounds. And uh, it's the same deal. So we do have a Facebook page, um, but Instagram is really where uh, we do most of our um, social media contact for that company. Um, the EDC community is its own world. Um, it's uh, not necessarily separate from, there's a little bit of an overlap there in that Venn diagram, but um, there's this whole other world with the EDC community, which is primarily what Glow Rhino is part of. So, and then finally the same deal, um, you can always reach out if you have questions about anything related to our products over at Glow Rhino at info at glowrhino.com. Um, and Kamenga, we didn't really talk about, um, but if you need it and you have some questions or you wanna check out what we have going on, um, that's C-A- M-M-E-N-G-A.com, Kamenga.com. And those are all of our lens-added compasses that we make for the U.S. military and a few other options as well. So that way, if you watch on the video platforms or on the audio side, just go through the description. I'll have all the links there to these companies and you know everything that she was talking about. And uh, that way, you can just click and go. Sounds great. Rachel, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Sure. It was great talking. And I hope uh, I hope people got some cool info, some new info, and you know, at least got to hang out and chat with us. <laughs> Absolutely. I had a great time talking to Rachel. She really knows her stuff. You know, we talked a little bit off camera before we started recording, and I'm telling you, she she's super easy to talk to. And um Man, it's just, it, it was just awesome. Uh, I could have talked to her for, I wouldn't even say hours. I could have talked to her for days about guns and shooting and technique and all kinds of stuff. She knows her stuff. Definitely go out and check out Night Vision. Their night sights are super, super cool. I got a chance to play with them at SHOT Show. You heard me talk about the clubhouse. They called it the dark room. Um, and these things glow. I mean, really, really bright, but not so much that it screws up your vision. I mean, when you bring 
that firearm up, man, those sights are just right there. Now I've run night sights for years and night sights from other companies. And at SHOT Show, after I play with their sights, I think they're gonna be my night sight of choice. I have all the links down below to their social media, to their web pages. Definitely go check them out. If you like the work that I do here, please consider supporting me for free by shopping my affiliate links and banners at www.trb.fyi. If you click up on Partners up in the menu, it'll take you to the Partners page. Select the vendor that you're going to go shopping at. Click on their link or banner, and a small portion of your purchase that you make afterwards will come back to the channel so that I can continue to bring you additional content. The greatest thing is, it's not going to cost you any more than you are already going to spend. If you'd like to make a direct donation to the channel, you can do so while you're on the web page. On any page, go down to the bottom of the right-hand side and click Make a Donation. Or, for as little as $1 per month, you can become a patron on Patreon. The link will be down below in the description. Thank you for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there. I look forward to talking to you again soon.